You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview, the Irish Times podcast bringing you perspectives on foreign affairs. I'm Patrick Smith. On our podcast this week, after the second TV debate and his sexual boasting, can Donald Trump really make it still to the White House? Polls now show a wide gap opening up with Hillary Clinton, and we are seeing leading Republicans shift their support to the party's congressional battles. As Simon Carswell, our Washington correspondent, reports, there is now a real possibility the Republicans will lose their majorities in the House and Senate. And to Italy, where Prime Minister Matteo Renzi has staked his reputation and maybe his job on the outcome of a constitutional referendum to reform Italy's much-criticised political system. There was no sign on Sunday night in the debate that Donald Trump was being reined in by his campaign team or by the Republican Party. His, he reckons, is a winning formula and he's sticking to it. On Monday night at a rally, he responded to crowd chants of lock her up by repeating his pledge to appoint a special prosecutor. Very, very sad. Special prosecutor, here we come, right? If I win, we're going to appoint the special prosecutor. Simon, what do polls show about the way this debate went? We said that nothing would deter his supporters and that he seemed to be impermeable to gaffes. But is this it at last? Well, I think it is. And I think this is Donald Trump following the strategy that he has a large base out there and he feels that it's large enough to win the election. And that base is primarily uh, white working class voters. Um, he's polling terribly amongst um, Republican women, uh, amongst um, college educated whites as well, which is a group that Republicans have won in presidential elections since the 1950s. But he feels whether it's a, a factor of his celebrity or um, that he's saying things that politicians don't normally say and he's going to bring people out to the polls who don't normally vote. He thinks that he can he has that majority amongst white voters. Now, almost every other Republican strategist that you would talk to says that it doesn't it's not there, that that this is not the America of the 1980s, uh, where during Ronald Reagan's time, uh, white working class voters made up two thirds of the electorate. They're roughly, in 2012, they're roughly a third of the electorate. But he seems to think that he, he can win this election on that basis. And that's what we heard at the debate. We heard uh, Donald Trump trying to move his base, trying to excite his base. And that clip you played there from that rally in Ambridge in Pennsylvania, which I attended, Trump came out even stronger than he did in the debate in front of his supporters following the same line. And he is appealing to people who want to see Hillary Clinton locked up. It was extraordinary that in a presidential debate, you had a candidate for one of the major parties here threatening to jail the other candidate if he gets elected. It was astonishing. It's really banana republic stuff. And and uh, one also got a sense that maybe he doesn't have another gear. He, he actually, no matter what his advisors say to him, he's just not capable of functioning in, in a different kind of mode? Well, I don't think he does have another gear. And we've heard this endlessly since he started emerging in the Republican primary as the nominee back in, in March. There was much talk, I remember, after his decisive Florida victory that, oh, are we going to see a pivot to a more moderate Donald Trump? Is this uh, a change from the kind of angry primary candidate to a more moderate measured uh, general election candidate? And it didn't happen. It hasn't come. And it, it, they talk about it here 
every week that are we going to see this pivot from Trump, but it's never happened. I'm not sure that he has strategists around him now, or certainly if there are uh, strategists encouraging him to moderate his language, he's not listening to them. Um, but I think that's a problem with Donald Trump. I think he's his own man. He, uh, he, he very much believes in what he's doing. I think uh, he's got an enormous sense of ego, and that's fed by the chanting that you hear at these rallies. And he believes he's doing the right thing, and he believes that he has a winning strategy. So why change it? Now, most remarkably, and, and you've ad- adverted to it in, 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 in already, women are still supporting him. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, women have, have declared against him. But there is a hardcore Republican woman who, who is still supporting him. Can you explain that phenomenon? I understand you were talking to people at the rally last night. Yeah, I spent about two hours just before the rally and afterwards uh, wandering around talking to his female voters. These are mostly um, uh, voters with only high school degrees. They're not graduates. Um, But they're they're willing to forgive his remarks, these horrific remarks that emerged on this 2005 tape that surfaced last Friday. Um, But it's in line with, with really what you hear and have been hearing uh, at rallies from his supporters over the past year is that, you know, he's not, he was not a politician. He was an entertainer. He was a celebrity. He was on television. And that he has, he said some things that you wouldn't say as a politician. So they dismiss it for that reason. Um, and in particular, in relation to the 2005 remarks, women at the Ambridge rally were telling me that, well, this is the way men talk, you know. Uh, and some of them said, well, women talk... Uh, you hear even worse talk from women. Um, and again, they're willing to forgive uh, Donald Trump for saying these things and, and continue to support him in very strong terms. Um, and they like the fact that he can he can say uh, uh, inflammatory things now because they feel there needs to be uh, needs to be a change. There's no more. There shouldn't be politics as usual. The status quo needs to be cracked. And this is the man to do it. And that anything he, he says is more or less acceptable. Now, there, there's been, been suggestions, I gather, in the last 24 hours that new further tapes are, are on the way and that the, we will hear even worse, if you like. Well, I think that that's the case. And there was there's a lot of speculation as to whether some of the, the, the audio and video that's on the cutting room floor when he was making The Apprentice for all those years on NBC, that that might emerge. We saw the... The, the creator of that program, Mark Burnett, come out and say that he, that cannot be released for legal reasons. And it's obviously a shot across the bows of any people working in NBC contemplating leaking these tapes. But I think there's an acceptance that there is more out there. There is more to come, perhaps more uh, more incendiary language from Donald Trump, the entertainer, rather than Donald Trump, the politician. And Trump himself has flagged that. He flagged that at the rally uh, yesterday afternoon. He said, if if there are more inappropriate things that I have said coming out, I'm going to respond in kind and continue talking about the inappropriate things that Bill and Hillary Clinton have done. And that was what was extraordinary about his uh, attack at the debate. He had threatened it in the last debate. He had been mentioning it um, prior to the second debate that he was going to raise issues around Bill Clinton's infidelity. He was going to raise the accusations that had been made of uh, sexual improprieties against the former president, and he came out um, swinging in, in the debate. It, it was a, it was an incredible moment in the hours before the debate that he held a press conference with uh, three women sitting alongside him who have accused 
Bill Clinton of sexual assault and sexual harassment, and another woman who uh, was raped as a 12-year-old, and Hillary Clinton um, defended her accuser. So it was, he's, he's really up the ante in this, uh, and really his unpredictability uh, means you just, we have no idea what might happen next with Donald Trump and how he might react. And there is one more debate to go in this extraordinary election. So anything goes when it comes to uh, this Republican candidate. Now, politically, probably the most significant um, shift has happened in terms of the Republican leadership. And we've seen Paul Ryan, who is uh, the the most uh, senior elected Republican leader, uh, distancing himself emphatically from from Trump and, and, and talking about shifting resources from the party away from Trump towards the House and Senate campaigns. And and that, I think, it's a very interesting aspect of the campaign, is that we're seeing a real fear that there will be fallout uh, for all of the House and Senate uh, seats and a danger for the Republicans that they will lose control of both houses. I think it's a very real concern. And we saw that in, over that incredible 48-hour period after the uh, tape surfaced on Friday, where you had Republican after Republican coming out and either condemning Trump in very strong terms over the brags that he made on his tape about being able to sexually assault women or grope and kiss women without their consent because he was a celebrity. This tape that was recorded while he was filming a segment uh, for an entertainment program to do with his cameo appearance on a soap opera. Uh, and Republicans were really thrown by that those remarks. Um, Someone further than just condemning him, some uh, calling him to step aside as the presidential nominee, uh, and others called for his running mate, Mike Pence, to step up and become the nominee. The difficulty for the Republican Party is there are no rules within the party system to force a nominee who does not want to step off the ticket to remove that person from the ticket. So they're, they're in difficulty. Um, and Republicans, for the past six to nine months have been tying themselves up in knots over their support um, uh, or unwillingness to support Donald Trump. Kelly Ayotte, for example, in New Hampshire, who's in a very difficult race to retain her seat, she has come out with a strange formula where she says she's going to vote for Donald Trump, but she's not endorsing him. Since the tape came out, she's completely um, uh, rescinded her support for Donald Trump. And, and rightly so. She's in a very, very difficult um, fight up in New Hampshire. And I think Republicans are right to be concerned because Congress is in jeopardy, their control of Congress. They have a majority of 60 in the House, which uh, I would be surprised if they were to lose, even given how divisive Donald Trump's candidacy is. But more importantly, in the Senate, they have 54 seats out of 100. So that four seat majority is critical for the Republicans to maintain uh, some control, main control, control in Congress, particularly if they have a Democratic president in Hillary Clinton. Um, after November 8th. Now, the Republican rank and file uh, are apparently deserting Republican congressional candidates for two rather contradictory reasons. For, for, for some of them, it's uh, abhorrence at, at their, the candidate's association with Trump. And for some of them, their anger is at the, re, the repudiation by candidates of, of Donald Trump. Uh, can, the, the candidates appear to be in a sort of lose-lose dilemma in, in, in terms of holding on to their base. But this is indicative of, the, of what's happening in the Republican Party, where Republican candidates face tougher fights in their primary battles against fellow Republicans. So Republicans are having to walk a tightrope over Trump. They have a core of support, which is very much to the right. 
that they need. And then they also have a moderate <clears throat> moderate support, for example, um, a lot of wealthy uh, uh, suburban Republicans, uh, well-educated Republicans, they're turned off completely by Trump. But the, the, there are those voters in their in their districts, just as there are um, hard right Tea Party voters in some of their districts. So there is a real struggle going on. There's a real balancing act that's taking place. And, and it is a lose-lose situation for many Republicans, which is a problem for the party, given the hostile takeover that Donald Trump has um, has done in the party. It's um, it's a real problem for Congress. And I think we saw that on, on the conference call that Paul Ryan had with his House Republicans yesterday, where he said he could no longer defend Trump, he could no longer campaign for Trump. Um, and once he started getting some backlash from House Republicans who felt that they need to continue to support Trump and felt that Ryan was conceding the presidency to Clinton, um, he came back and said, well, he's not withdrawing his endorsement. So Ryan, in his very, in his very call, trying to distance himself from Trump, couldn't. Uh, so it really shows just the struggle that's going on within the Republican Party. And Priest Rebus, uh, the chairman of the Republican Party, is still sticking with, with Trump. He is. Um, he he uh, he's been very quiet over the last few days since the tape emerged. He was due to appear on a Sunday talk show and he pulled out of it. Um, in fact, Rudy Giuliani was the only top Trump surrogate who actually came out and uh, took fire on Sunday in, in the aftermath of this uh, this tape that was leaked. Um, but he is sticking by him, and I think the Republican National Committee is is very much in the middle of that tightrope, um, uh, having to. Uh, support Trump and all the infrastructure that the party has around Trump and, and the different races, the congressional races and then the presidential race, and also trying to deal with uh, the demands uh, and the concerns of some members of the party. So, yeah, it's a real tricky situation that the uh, Rince Priebus and uh, the Republican National Committee find themselves in. Thank you very much, Simon. You can subscribe to the full range of Irish Times podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. These days, it seems, barely a month passes, but we're into a referendum somewhere in the world. And like the rise in global anti-politics, these exercises in popular sovereignty have been surprising by biting back against the political establishment. Brexit went through to everybody's astonishment. In Hungary, voters gave their leaders a kick in the teeth by boycotting uh, his poll on the EU immigration policy. And in Colombia, they've turned their back on six years of peace talks. Paddy Agnew in Rome. Is the same thing about to happen in Italy, where Prime Minister Renzi has staked his reputation on a constitutional referendum in December to reform its sclerotic politics? Well, uh, people have called it Italy's Brexit. I think that's probably an exaggeration in the sense that I don't think it's going to... Uh, the result of this referendum is necessarily going to impact very much in the European Union. But it's certainly important for uh, the political future of Mr. Renzi himself. And in the way that uh, the Brexit vote has been seen as a protest or an anti-European vote, uh, there is plenty of room for the, uh, this vote to be um, uh, used in that manner, even though the, the, the actual issues are not to do with the European Union. Uh, and what are the polls showing about uh, prospects for, for Renzi's referendum? Well, it's, 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 uh, it's very simple, Paddy. Uh, we started off, uh, you know, the referendum was announced about a year ago, and uh, initially... Uh, uh, there was a fairly comfortable majority which was uh, going to vote yes. Most recent uh, uh, opinion polls suggest that it's going to be very, very close. And indeed, at the moment, the opinion polls say that the no vote is in front. Uh, uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why Mr. Renzi has been very, very active in 
uh, recent weeks and will be right through to the referendum on the, uh, December the 4th. And there are active campaigns up up and uh, organising meetings and television debates and the like. It's, so it's, it's, a, it's very much the stuff of, of public debate. It is absolutely the stuff of public debate. We have there isn't a, a talk show on TV, a news of our current affairs program that goes by with, in which this is not the main issue on the agenda. And as far as um, you know, organisations, you have I think it's something like six committees, six yes committees, and set and five no committees, and working nationwide. Uh, and there's obviously a huge, huge amount of of, of media campaigning as well. Now, Italy's politics are notorious for, for having an unstable uh, government, 63, I gather, in 70 years. Uh, what are the reforms? Why, why are they needed? And I gather it's constitutional reforms and legislative reforms. OK, the history uh, of the thing is simply this. Mr uh, Renzi uh, uh, took office in uh, early 2014 not uh, unelected on a palace push, but he came in uh, w- with a, a promise uh, and uh, indeed with the backing of the uh, Italian state president, uh, Georgia, then state president, Georgia Napolitano, to uh, institute uh, change, uh, reform. And within a month of being in office, he, he actually uh, put, uh, he, he sent, he put through parliament uh, the first draft of two important legislations. This constitutional referendum that we're looking at, that will be voted on in December, and also uh, new electoral legislation. And the two things go together. And we're, we're now at the end of that cycle because uh, the electoral legislation, uh, the, the parliament was able to approve that, and they have approved that, but, uh, it, but it's tied into this uh, constitutional referendum because it cannot go through parliament unless you have a two-thirds majority, which Mr. Uh, Renzi didn't want. And essentially what he's saying here, the, the, the ballot paper, which the uh, no camp says is misleading, basically asks people uh, the following. It says, do you approve of legislation which eliminates the two-chamber system, uh, the two-chamber parliamentary system, uh, which reduces the number of parliamentarians, calls for institutional cost-cutting, calls for the closure of the government uh, think tank, canal, and enables uh, uh, the reform of Article 5 of the Constitution, which is about region and local government. That's what it says. And on paper, you know, given what, you know, what you've just said, that we all know that Italy's uh, uh, had periods of unstable government, that it's, uh, there are problems at, at local and uh, between central and local government, that, you know, that nobody in the right mind would oppose a, a ballot paper like that. But the no factors say, point out, well, you know, that sounds like you're going to... Um, uh, you're going to eliminate the two chamber systems. That means you're going to eliminate one of the houses. Uh, in fact, uh, even though there's reform to the Senate, the Senate will not be uh, eliminated. It changes into a, a hundred seater local assembly made up of mayors, local councillors, who effectively will be double jobbing at the same time benefiting from parliamentary immunity. Um, the Senate still retains its powers of veto. Uh, let theoretical legislation would be slower rather than faster. And on top of that, it removes a level of regional autonomy. For all those reasons, uh, or those are the main reasons why the, 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 the no uh, camp opposes this referendum. Uh, the idea from Renzi's point of view, as I understand it, is is that it will make for a more stable government in that, that, that it will strengthen the executive, make it less accountable to a variety of, of bodies. And is that a plausible argument? Yes, it is a plausible argument because, uh, you know, when they 
One of the problems here is that Renzi is, is, is daring to tinker with uh, the great sacred cow of uh, Italian political life, the Constitution. The Constitution was the 1948 Constitution put together essentially to make sure that you can never have Benito Mussolini again, you can never have, have a fascist dictatorship again. And therefore, it, it goes out of its way to make sure that uh, uh, basically everybody and every voice in the, in, uh, in the land is heard. So, uh, and at times that obviously uh, makes government very difficult. The perfect symmetry of the two, uh, the twin house system doesn't make government easy. And Mr. Renzi has a point, but uh, his opponents uh, say that the, this reform allied to the electoral reform that I mentioned earlier, you put the two things together and it means that you'll have uh, two thirds of the parliamentarians uh, nominated rather than elected, nominated by the, 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 uh, the because of the fixed list of the blocked list uh, electoral system. Zagreb Belsky, one of the constitutionalists, says that it, it moves Italy from being a democracy to an oligarchy. And it hands power to party bosses, in effect. Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, it, you can go on with that argument for any ever more because what, what the oligarchy is, uh, you know, power in the hands of a very, a very small number of people. But, I mean, there are those who would say that that's the way democracy works too, actually. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And and Renzi's found that he is opposed not only by uh, uh, the opposition parties, but within his own Partito Democratico, there is strong opposition too. Absolutely. Uh, we had um, a very hot and bothered meet, party uh, meeting last night, just last night, uh, at which Mr. Uh, Renzi said to them, uh, he said, you know, uh, I would do everything to keep the party together, but if the party has to fall apart to make sure this constitutional reform goes through, then I'm back in the constitutional reform. So we had, you know, we had uh, the OK Corral a bit last night at that party meeting, and it seems that there's a small section of uh, a minority, a very small minority section within the party that is going to vote no. And people like the previous leader, Pier Luigi Bersani, is one of the most authoritative. There are other authoritative people who are voting no. And, you know, the, their uh, feeling is that it's uh, simply riding roughshod over some very fundamental and some very dearly held democratic principles. But it's also about getting at Renzi, presumably. That is clear. It's hard to know how many people are actually desperately concerned about the democratic implications of this referendum and how many people just want to get rid of Mr. Renzi because one of the things about uh, Renzi in his period in office is that he's behaved like a lot of Italian people, uh, Italian leaders in office before him. He's appointed his own people all over the country and uh, state bodies uh, up and down the country and in positions of power. And uh, if you're not in the magic circle, you're uh, out in the cold and you might... Uh, feel that one way of getting back into the magic circle would be to uh, remove uh, Mr. Renzi and uh, uh, have somebody else in power. And he initially uh, said that he would go if the if the vote uh, came yeah. down, but he's sort of been um, <laughs> equivocating on that pledge uh, in, in recent he times said, as the vote gets closer. He certainly has, Paddy, because the cynic would say he, when he, he made that promise when it was looked as if there were no problem, he'd get the referendum go through. And he's backtracked that promise because uh, opinion polls are now going against him. He himself says, well, it was a mistake to personalise it. This isn't about me. This is about the, the greater good of Italy's future. Uh, most of us tend to believe that he's, he's backing off because uh, he, he, you know, he, uh, <laughs> the refer he's not guaranteed the referendum is going to go his way now. And, of course, like all referendums uh, that we have experienced, they become about... 
the economy, they become about the prime minister, whatever the ostensible uh, question on the ballot paper. And what is the background then economically and politically to, to this uh, to this uh, vote? Uh, is the Italian economy strengthening or or the talk we hear regularly about a looming banking crisis? Is that taken seriously? That is very serious. The looming banking crisis is far from resolved. In the last quarter, there was no growth whatsoever and uh, 0.4% growth this year. Uh, unemployment, youth unemployment is still uh, in the, the mid-40s. You know, the economy is not performing well. There's no question of that. And uh, so this referendum is being set against uh, a, a background of austerity politics to, uh, uh, because the government doesn't have money. And it's set, set, set against, obviously, and this is where it becomes a European Union issue, it's set against a background where, you know, Italy continues to have a, a huge uh, migration problem to c- contend with. We had, you know, last week alone, we had something like 11,000 people arriving on the shores of Sicily. So, uh, and, and people look at that and, and, and feel that... Uh, Italy's having to, to deal with that to a certain extent on its own and that uh, resources and revenue set aside to deal with them that uh, should be dealing with Italians. It's, it becomes a, a classic Eurosceptic populist line. And you put those things together, uh, there are plenty of people who don't feel uh, happy at the moment and they'd be quite happy to express that unhappiness by voting uh, against this referendum. Thank you very much, Paddy. Thanks to Simon Carswell and Paddy Agnew, and to sound engineer Rob O'Sullivan and our producer Declan Conlon. You can find Worldview and other Irish Times podcasts in iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, or at www.irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts.